Hello and welcome back to Words. He's Stuart. And he's Christiana. And today we'll be looking at the Bee Gees' second offering from 1968, because one album just wasn't enough for a year. In September they released Idea. Sessions for Idea begin formally in January, however we did see that they'd started a recording for Swan Song, and that can be found on the 2006 reissue for Horizontal. They properly begin recording for Idea in January, so they were seeing in the new year happily with a new album. (laughs) Well, I don't think it was happily. I mean, according to the um, Daily Mail, Barry and Robin uh, had to go to hospital in Istanbul, suffering from exhaustion. So obviously a long flight and uh, the busy schedule that they had. Once again, it's worth remembering that Morris and Robin are still 18, 17. And I think this is what caused delays for the Cucumber Castle special. Mm-hmm. No, Joey, it took uh, three, three, was it two or three years before it uh, come together again. So uh, a lot of hangovers there, I think. So the Bee Gees actually went into the recording studio around about the 8th and 9th of January. Okay. They covered a few songs. We don't actually see, Ed, I think there's about five or six, which we'll cover a bit later on. But what we're concerned about is one called Down to Earth, which was the first idea song that they uh, they attempt. Okay. Out of interest, what were those other songs they did? Well, the first one I've got is the singer sang his song. Quite apt because it came out before the album <laughs> anyway. Then you've got, as I just said, Down to Earth. Then we had a Gina's theme. Um, I don't know who Gina is, but uh, we'll come on to that a bit later. Jumbo, which is a boat of contention. <laughs> then we have... Bridges Crossing Rivers. So there was quite a few tracks that they did do before playing into the album. But as we're going to go through this chronologically, we'll start going through with the album. Track one of side one, Let There Be Love. Let there be love So I can be loved by you In paradise avenue Let there be life So everyone lives to love Let it happen to me and you Right, it's glad to see the Bee Gees belting at a heavy metal number. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Chris, this for me is one of their, one of the best ballads. It's very romantic, but it's still got the 60s flower power sentiment on it. Yeah. I think going from Bee Gees first, Horizontal, Idea, and then later on in Odessa, which we'll do in the next episode, I think that every album opener gets better and better and better, and this is better than the last two. It's, as you said, a a wonderful ballad to open up the album. Immediately we get a sound of Idea. The, The sound is much cleaner, arrangement sparser than the previous album which is quite heavy quite tight and claustrophobic here all of the instruments get their room to play on this album something that's really worth listening out for is morris on the bass on this track many others that i'll point out if you just put on your headphones and focus in on what morris is playing he's absolutely superb such a deft bass player well don't you think this feels like a lost single yes it uh, was it not a single no but it, it feels like it should have been yeah yeah, I mean, I think like you, I think it's the vocal arrangements are superb. And I really love the song's introduction and the way that it uses three chords. If you'll, <laughs> if you'll indulge me in some novice music theory, I'll demonstrate it through. The song's introduction opens with notes running up and down B flat major. 
and that B flat then goes to a G major, which is quite an odd jazzy progression because you're sharpening the B flat to a B from the B flat to a B to make the G major. It doesn't quite sound right, but then that G major forms unresolved tension which is then finally resolved with the opening lyric Let There Be Love, which is in C major, and that resolves the G major. So from G major into C major. Having that opening lyric in C major really helps to create a sense of relief and also satisfaction. It's a very simple, but it's such an effective technique, and it's a fantastic way to open up a song and here to open up an album. Brilliant songwriting from all of them. And then, as you, as we were discussing before the, that we started doing this, the, the vocal arrangements then leads to Morris. Yeah. No, sorry, apologies to Robin for the second half. And that I have to say. Idea is an album that is littered with absolutely gorgeous moments. That moment towards, it's one of the last verse or chorus when Robin takes over from Barry is one of the greatest moments of any Bee Gees song. I, I, it gives me goosebumps every time I hear it. It's just absolutely wonderful. And in September, after, well, shortly before after the release of the album, they flew over to Brussels and did a um, French TV special. And they recorded music videos promoting the album and played a lot of the songs from the album, plus a few from Horizontal. And in the music video for Let There Be Love, um, that transition is shown really well with a, with a crossfade between Barry and to Robin. So I'll link to all of these music videos in the uh, description. So definitely worth watching all of them. Yeah. So when was this one recorded then, Chris? Looking at the notes, this song was done in June, so towards the end of the album sessions. Which, to answer your query from earlier about why wasn't this a single, and we both agreed, maybe it was a bit too late to be a single. It's six months, the album was virtually done. They'd probably had, because the way the you know, Bee Gees worked, things were so fast, they'd probably had eyes on other things. Yeah. But what a way to open up the album. Yeah. Barry regards this as a direct love song about his relationship with Linda. This is one of the first times that I've picked up on a lyric in any of the songs because you and I are usually a bit more interested in the music. Yes, so lyrics is secondary for us. There's a lyric that never quite resonates well with me and that's, I can be nothing, I can be something, I've got to give you my life, I'm tired of living without your giving, I've got to get you for my wife. And it's the rhyming life with wife, which is quite corny, cheesy. bring knife in it. <laughs> but also, get you for my wife. I can be nothing, and I can be something. So whether he means he's nothing when he's on his own, and when he's with her, his life means something. Mm-hmm. That's the way I, I tend to think it is, but... Uh, and, it, and is it for real, or is it... Is it Hypothetical. It, yeah. All you can is surmise is what, is, what he was doing at that, that point. Yeah. But going back to the music, at the end, when we have the repeat of the piano melody that opens the song in the B flat 
Morris, again, praising him on the bass, he plays that same melody line with the bass, so that's worth listening out for. Just before the piano comes back, He, the piano echoes him on the bass. It's absolutely brilliant. And the bass is even more noticeable on the mono version. We found that with the last podcast, didn't we? We did. With one of the songs with the vocals and the instrument in the background blended better. And worked better in mono. Yeah. Already it's been high praise from both of us. What's your score for this song? Well, I'm going to kick off with a nine. I agree. A nine out of ten for me, yeah. It's near to perfection. No better way to open up an album until we get to Odessa. And now let's see if Kitty can. We didn't need enough reminder that we're in the 60s. We've got the finger snaps to tell us again. <laughs> well, do you know, on my notes, I put for this one, this is another really catchy song with a sing-along chorus. And like you said on the previous song, Morris bass, he's sort of experimented with the bass on this one. And he also provides brilliant harmonising. And I noticed on the bass, if you listen in closely, at the end of every verse, he's doing a, a slight bend or a warble on the bass string oh okay it's really great when you hone in on it and you, you pick out what he's playing he's such a deft player he's excellent throughout the five or six times I've listened to this I was listening to it in the car and I kept thinking this reminds me of something and you know you know, it's in the back of your mind you're trying to think what it was and I think it reminds me of Maggie May by the Beatles right yeah 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 I can see what you mean. Give, give it a listen and you'll see. I don't know what it is. It's probably, you, I'll probably listen to it again. It sounds nothing like yeah. it. But while I was listening, okay, this reminds me of something. And uh, it, that, that song popped up. When looking in the booklet from the Rhino reissue, it said about how Kitty Can was written between Barry and Morris. That's so quite bit, unusual, isn't it? Well, a bit of a pre- yeah. precursor to... Cucumber Castle. Yeah. Well, 69, isn't it? I don't know if you noticed, Chris, but on the reissue, there's a slight difference in time between the stereo mix and the mono mix. I, I did notice that. Yeah. From what I can gather, it was something to do with the use of the 8-track machines. Um, you've got the American ones and the UK ones. So they must have ran at a slightly different voltage. Hence why one's slower than one's a little bit faster. The mono mix is, you're quite right, it's faster. It, therefore it's shorter by 7 seconds. And it seems to be a, a half-step uh, or a semitone 
higher. I believe yeah. it's higher than and, the And I also did notice as well, you can hear the harpsichord a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And you said about the 8-track machine, It's at this moment it would be worth noting that for idea, IBC Studios that the BQs were recording at had acquired 8-track tape before I believe they were just using a 4-track. And 8-track, this was now industry standard in 1968. So that's probably why idea sounds so much better than horizontal they've got more tracks to bounce off haven't they yeah well i think we haven't got quite so much to say on this one as the previous one so i assume your score's not gonna be quite it's not gonna be a nine is it this is a five five i probably will go slightly higher than you probably a six or a seven mm-hmm. veering more towards a six right from a june recording i think we're going to shoot back to february for this next recording and it's aptly titled in the summer of his years Three tracks in, and Robin the Balladeer is back in again. (laughs) It's funny you should say that. In my notes, I've written that up until this moment, this is the greatest Robin vocal on any any of the three albums that we've looked at, but it will be bettered later on in this album. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do you know what this one's song's about at all? Yeah, I I found that this is his requiem for Brian Epstein. I, I like the song, but for me, it's probably the weakest of Robin's ballads. Not saying it's a bad song, but on this album... Probably because the, the standard's so high and a couple of other ones yeah. it is. Yeah, it, it, it's probably slightly weaker. I mentioned with Let There Be Love that Idea is an album that's littered with wonderful moments, some of the best moments of any of the Bee Gees music. This song has a prime example of that. From 1 minute 50 to about 2 minutes 25 is one of the most breathtakingly beautiful moments of any Bee Gees song. Robin accompanies it, so I don't quite know which come first, the orchestra, or probably there were scat vocals by Robin, um, how he wanted the orchestra to go, and it, they just sort of blend really well. I don't know what you think. We've not mentioned Bill Shepard yet, but at the moment this is third track in, this is his best arrangement, will we still be bettered. We praise him in every episode, and this is no exception. This would work as an instrumental as well, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, he's on fine form. He really knows what to do at this point with the Bee Gees, how to... I wouldn't say improve, not to say that the Bee Gees demos were of poor quality, but he knows how to complement them. Oh, I think so. And brings it all to life, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. So while this was all going on in studio, Chris, words were still pretty Doing high well. up in the charts. Once this recording session had finished, the Bee Gees took a four-month break. Um, I would think they probably went to promote Horizontal. And that then explains why 
took a couple of songs previously were done in June. That explains the four-month break. Four-month break. And then in March, they obviously released Jumbo, Singer Sang His Song as well. So mm-hmm. they, had, they had plenty of work to do to promote both albums and two non or new out new tracks. And also, Chris, during February, Horizontal reached a mighty peak of number 16, which must have been a little bit of a disappointment for them. A dip from Bee Gees first. Which we I think we said previous podcast had one or two songs changed. It could have been totally different. It was the lack of, the absence of words from the album. So once it finished then, I think they went on a tour of Germany. Them days, you used to tend to get a couple of groups doing things. So I think the first group was Procol Harum. Uh-huh. Um, that's it. So they got they gone first, and they they're a group I think that had a, had quite a big, big sound to it. So obviously when they gone, and on comes the Bee Gees, all making use of the orchestra. Yeah, yeah. Looking at Andrew Sandoval's book, they open up their first UK tour in Mar- end of March '68. Their show begins with a big overture before opening with New York mining disaster. I think the set also includes uh, Jumbo. I can't see nobody. Holiday, To Love Somebody, Really and Sincerely, With the Sun in My Eyes, Birdie Told Me, a Harry Bruff Melody, incorporating elements of A Close My Eyes, The Singer Sang His Song, and Horizontal. Words. During tours of this period, they were also doing Gilbert Green. So, so they, was, they were still doing a song that's never been three albums. Okay. Whether they thought it might ever end up on idea, it would fit on idea, but obviously there were better songs that they wanted to go with instead. Do you know those on stage for only 40 minutes? This is, it's incredible, this isn't is it? It's like when the Beatles now. playing for half an hour. Yeah. It's like now when you go to concerts, you know, you feel ripped off if you haven't seen it for two hours, don't you? <clears throat> All the notes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one out of 16, was it, we went to see? <laughs> but, you know, you, we, we went to see Paul McCartney, haven't we, and, yeah. and various others, and you get a good two-hour concert. Yes, and he was nearly three. Three, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Non-stop and he doesn't drink water. Yeah. And we can't manage this, can we? With <laughs> yeah. a 2 stop. Oh, we've already had 20 stops. <laughs> and 20 glasses of water. Yeah. After the tour finishes, Robin attends the new Musical Express Poll Winners concert because they win the best best new group for 1967. Well, hey. Yeah, it was given to him by uh, James Bond himself, Roger Moore. That would be future James Bond. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because he, it was uh, Live and Let Die, wasn't it, Ryo? Yeah. Unfortunately, the Bee Gees never did a Bond theme. Although there is a song on Odessa that I think could have been a Bond theme, but we'll get on to that. All right. <laughs> I'm going to go for a seven on this one. Whereas I'm going to give it an eight. Because you like this one, really like this yeah. one, don't you? Yeah. So. And for the next track, let's uh, raise our glasses. Glass of water. <laughs> for Indian gin and whiskey dry. This is a return to the quirk of Bee Gees first. I'm going to guess it's a Robin song. It definitely is, because um, he released... Well, didn't release. He wrote at least six or seven demos during 68. For songs for Idea Odessa? Well, I would think initially they're probably for this album. We do get to hear all but one on the Robin reissue. Um, but I did read this one was written in India. Again, looking at 
the differences between mono and stereo with this song, with the mono version, Morris's bass and his wah-wah effect that he's applying to it, which is gives it that Eastern Indian flavour, is much more prominent. Well, on the mono mix? Yeah. To demonstrate it, I'll play the stereo version and then the mono. Probably because of that, Chris, that's probably why um, he's got credits for the composition because, as we said earlier on, if, we, if you've got the six, seven demos that Robin's done, but on the credits for the song, it's all three brothers. So whether whether Barry helped with the lyrics and then, again, with Morris... Morris added so much musicianship that it gave him that credit. Yeah, and, and it's easy then just to slap all three down as, as composers of it. Saves the uh, arguments. Yeah. Which will come later. <laughs> For Indian Gin and Whiskey Dry, I don't rate it that highly. I'm not a big fan of these quirky songs. Um, I've given this one a four out of ten. Well, I've gone a bit better than you. I've gone with a six. Well, after having plenty to drink, uh, there's always something to bring you back down to earth. And that would be the next song. Can you believe that what you see could never ever be so real somehow? Down to earth, my very man, there's some help needed here and your you can see if you stand on your chair That there's millions and millions and millions and millions of people like We're all the way back to January, January the 8th. Uh, the Bee Gees record Down to Earth and Chocolate Symphony. Now, I would like to lay down my side of the argument here. There was another song that you mentioned here that we haven't heard with the title Millions of Millions. I think that that's just another title for Down to Earth. Oh, okay. But you think differently? Yeah, well, we were going through the titles prior to doing this podcast, wasn't we? You know, as we've said many times, it's so frustrating when you see all these song titles and you think, are they original songs or are they titles of songs, you know, a working title? You're, You're thinking that Millions and Millions is something to do with Down to Earth then? In the chorus, millions and millions and millions and millions. It, it could possibly be. I mean, I, I, hadn't, I hadn't thought of it. I tend to see titles and think it's every time I see one, oh, that's a new song. Mm. I never sort of think, oh, that belongs to something else. So, well, you, you might be right. This song opens ominously with piano and bass, and it's, for me, another example of a wonderful Robin vocal. It's got and a really haunting melody, this one. It does. Yeah, I mean, it's very, I mean, I, I find it a very slow-paced song. A great thud. With yeah. the piano and bass really chugging us through. Yeah, but the Bee Gees, they've just got a, they've just got the knack, haven't they, for writing a, a sort of haunting melody. Yeah. I mean, Robin's vocal, I think, is really intense. 
This song wouldn't have been out of place on Horizontal. No. And like Kitty Can, there is a time difference and a pitch difference. Again, I think it's a, a semitones difference between the stereo and mono mix. The mono mix is shortened by four seconds because it's, uh, again, in, increased in speed. It's, so. it's all that voltage thing again, isn't it? Yeah. I, as we said before, it's the US machine against the, um, the UK one. We spoke of the songs left over from Horizontal last time, Ring My Bell and uh, Out of Line, where you said that good verses, but choruses needed developing. Same problem here for me. Well, I think uh, when you look at tracks that got left off, I'll quite easily swap one or two with this one. Yeah. Um, well, the other song that was recorded on this day, I'd swap with this one. Oh, yeah, oh, definitely. The Chocolate Symphony, well, there's quite a few I'd swap that one with. Yeah. Judging from what you've been saying and my thoughts, I'm guessing our scores are going to be lower. Yeah, I've gone for a six on this one. And I'm the same with you on a six. Here we are, nearing the end of side one with Such a Shame, a Vince Maloney composition. Now, we're following the Rhino reissue track listing, which features both Such a Shame and I've Gotta Get a Message to You. In the UK, Such a Shame was included, whereas in America, Such a Shame was swapped for I've Gotta Get a Message to You, that being the single for the album. Well, I've got to say, Chris, that when I first heard the album, I thought it was such a shame this was on the album. <laughs> But to be fair, I've, I've listened to this quite a few times and like all good songs, it's really grown on me. And then having sort of flitted through the notes, I see where it, it works in me with Barry as well. He, he, he liked the, uh, the song. And, it, and, and to be fair, it, the more you listen to it, 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 it's a strong song. It's before its time, but I, if I was going to describe this, I would say it's sort of mid-70s, sort of like the Eagles. OK. In the first two years of being familiar with this album... I wasn't aware of the context of writing and recording and, and who was writing which song. I didn't know that this wasn't a Gib number. Well, you wouldn't know. No. Not really, no. Barry did want to take the lead vocal on this song, but being Vince's song, he wanted to take the lead on it instead. And to that extent, it does give the album variety. There is an extra vocal in there beyond the three Gib brothers. And it stands up to the others. I mean, it's... And that is a testament to Vince that he was able to slip into the Gib style. However, Vince did acknowledge in retrospect that he wished he'd let Barry take the lead vocal and also had Barry have taken the lead, it wouldn't have upset Stigwood as much. Stigwood wasn't particularly impressed that there was a non-Gib composition on the Bee Gees album. And I can see both sides to that argument. Yes, it's unfair on Vince and Colin if Robert Stigwood is only wanting Barry, Robin and Morris's names on the writing compositions, even though during this period the Bee Gees are a five-piece band. However, on the other side of the coin, the Bee Gees started with Barry, Robin and Morris, and so perhaps Stigwood wanted to try and keep it that way as much as possible. Both sides of the story have to be taken into account, and there's no right or wrong answer. But I'm glad that Vince managed to get his number on there, and it's a fine, fine little song. 
I've got to say, Chris, there's a great harmonica solo on it. Well, it, it, it's virtually throughout the song, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I haven't got a clue who's playing it. You was on about the videos earlier on. That really doesn't tell you either who plays anything, does it? The video, I'll put a link to. The camera stays mainly on a extreme wide shot. It's all five of them in this big studio square. Difficult to explain, but you can see them all of them. Interestingly, uh, Robin, for seemingly the only time, is on bass guitar. Oh, OK. You never see well, too often. Well, I suppose they put Morris on the keyboard. With the harmonica, I would have to guess it's either Vince or Morris, but Morris never seems to use it again. No, I don't. So, I don't. I just don't know on that one. We've tried looking, haven't we? And we can't see. Yeah, nowhere that we could find says who it was. How do you score this one? I've gone with a six. The Eagles style that you mentioned earlier, that's not my sort of music. It's not the music that I choose to listen to. I appreciate and respect Vince for being able to get his own composition onto the album and for keeping the lead vocal, but it's just not my sort of music, and so it gets a four. The preacher taunted me and he smiled Said, come and walk with me Well, after all these years, Chris, I hope somebody did get the message. <laughs> but no, I've got to say, this is this is an out-and-out classic, isn't it? Yeah. It's one of the best... I've got, I think it's one of the best 60s recordings altogether. Yeah. It stands up with anything the Beatles did. Even to, if he's up-to-date, it's even on Barry's latest album as well. So obviously he rates it very high. It's with somebody called Keith Urban. I think the vocals are brilliant. I think the mix of Robin in the first and third verse... And then with Barry's strong vocal in the second, it, it's it's just wonderful. Two minutes 34, it's another one of those moments when Robin comes in on the vocal, it's yeah. sublime. Well, I think when, when they all get together for the, uh, the harmonies, they're just so powerful. I think everybody knows what the story's about, the sort of link between life and death. Death Row, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. Some of your early songs were very melancholy. Was there any particular reason for that? There was a lot of sort of doom and gloom feeling in some of those songs. Like, got to get a message to you because about a guy going to the chair. I mean, obviously appealing because people obviously uh, bought them, but there was a tremendous feeling of, uh, of despair in those songs. And maybe that's just the way we were at the time. Maybe we were very sad people. Then. <laughs> Barry says that it's not about death, although a lot of people think that it is. It's about a person who is about to die. He's going to his death because he's committed a murder. According to Robin, the first person perspective of the song, who's on death row, he's killed a man who's been carrying on with his wife 
and he wants to get a message to her before he dies. And Barry said that with regards to the, the writing and recording of the song, it was recorded the same night it was written. Similar, wasn't New York mining disaster the same as that? It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just surprising that what the, the story they're telling doesn't match the music. You, you've got a real sort of sad, depressing lyric with a quite up song. So I, I think when the song was first released, I'm not quite sure whether everybody realised who they've got to get a message to. Mm. Okay, if you sit and listen to the lyrics, you can see, obviously hear what it's about. But if you're just listening to the melody on the radio, you're humming along to it and not, not having a clue what it's about. But uh, yeah, it's up there with the best for me. How did it do chart-wise? Well, this one, Chris, was the first UK number one. Mm-hmm. Yep, got to number one in the UK, got to number eight in America, and a slight dip for Germany, it got to number three. Because the, out of the last four singles released, uh, three of them got to number one, um, and Jumbo managed number five. So, But as I say, it was number one here, and the, the thing about that song is it was recorded in June, July, sorry, and within weeks it was released as a single. So I think it was their third non-album single to be released. Well, non-album for the UK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because obviously prior to this one was Jumbo. Yeah. And words before that. To pick three three singles that are not on albums, it's quite brave really, isn't it? Very easy to understand why this was put on the album in the US. I think that they might have learnt from the mistake of Horizontal of not having words to put this on idea. Well, actually, Chris, it didn't make a difference because in, uh, um, in America, idea only got to 17 as opposed to Horizontal was 12 and Bee Gees first was number seven, so it's a slight dip. But an increase, UK was number four and again, Germany number three. You'd also think that with uh, the harmonica bluesy, slight Dylan-esque style to such a shame, that would, might have made more sense for an American audience. It might have done, actually, yeah. But, but yeah. I, I would assume they probably went with, uh, to put a hit single on the album. In the US. Because the last two albums, New York Mind Disaster and To Love Somebody were on the first one, and then singles on the second one to help promote it. So they probably thought, we'll go with that one. I don't know whether you noticed, but at 2 minutes 42... If you listen in, okay. I'll play it. Somebody, might be Barry, is saying something, is shouting something in the studio that sounds like they're shouting, oh, I don't know whether that's deliberate or accident. I'll play it and see what see what you think. Oh, good spot. <laughs> Unless it's just in the edit, where instead of singing, oh, now, or something, it just got up. Oh, and it cuts it's, off. It's been, it's been cut off. And it must have good ears to spot it in the first place. <laughs> it was only when wearing headphones... Popped up and, oh, what's that? Yeah, yeah well, you tend to listen to a lot of stuff in earphones, don't you? Yeah. It is a shame that this song fades in the studio. They play it live so much. And my favourite performance of it live is in LA in 1997 on the concert video. The closure that it gets on that live version is fantastic. And it's a shame that they couldn't have done that for the studio version. I know what you're talking about now. With all the instruments going. Yeah. Well, 
Right, Chris, now we're guessing what you're going to give for this one. I give this one a 9 out of 10. It's near perfection. Okay, I'm going, I'm going with a 10. So have you got any thoughts what the next song's going to be? I've got an idea. And so did the Bee Gees. <laughs> find out what the idea was (laughs) the idea i think is to um draw upon the beatles there's more than one reference here for me the song opens with a a chord sounds a bit like an e major chord which the final chord in day of the life that final chord of the long the long that's an e major and i'll do a transition you could swap that e major for the opening chord for this song and it flows in if you have a listen And the riff reminded me of the other songs from Bee Gees Fast that we thought were very Beatles-inspired, I've Got to Learn and In My Own Time. Yeah, I think I think you're right there. I mean, on my notes here, I, I've put this song could have been on any of the previous two or three albums. Mm-hmm. It's re- the most 60s-sounding one on this album. To its detriment, I think. And do you think it's a, a good way to open up Side 2? Yeah, well, it's the first album that they've not opened up with a single on Side 2. That's true. Yeah, very true. Could have been a single, if they wanted it to be. I think it could have made a dent well, in the radio. I think they've done, they've done, they've done so many songs that, that there's, there's quite a lot of stuff that could have been singles. But um, I can see where you're coming from. It, it's got that um, radio appeal to it. Yeah. And it's got a wonderful lead electric guitar line. when we were discussing horizontal I spoke about electric guitars and how they weren't prominent in Bee Gees first they only started to make an appearance in horizontal and they're dipping in and out here and then funny if on the next album lose it completely yeah that's true in fact they they lose it for a little while the promotional video for this song is fantastic I believe it's from that same French TV special it's ahead of its time isn't it yeah with all the visuals Still got that psychedelic yellow submarine. Yeah. Oh yeah, with with a finger pointing, Think pointing it, it, finger. What you see in the li- or what you hear in the lyrics is what you see in the picture as well, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, very good um, representation from audio to picture. Uh, good quality as well. I'll, I'll I'll link to it. Yes, I think it's a remastered version. Yes, that that uh, that's been uploaded. It's a pity you can't buy them commercially, isn't it? It's a shame they weren't. It's such a shame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't put on a DVD with that reissue. I would quite like it. You get plenty of the Bee Gees stories, and, and, and we've had concert videos. Not many, but we've had concert videos. <laughs> um, but it'd be quite nice to get a sort of 67 to whatever of all the videos put on one Blu-ray. Yeah, yeah, it would be. I'd imagine it's a, quite a difficult rights issue. 
the Bee Gees own the music, but who owns the video? Yeah, but they've got quite a few, haven't they? Yeah. I mean, because I think that I've seen recently a remastered version of uh, Staying Alive, and you can it's incredible the difference. Especially if it's shot on film, you can really get it yeah. to that Blu-ray scale. Also worth watching this promotional video if you uh, would like to learn the riff, because you get some interesting sheet music, visual representations of sheet music. Oh, it's their face, isn't it? As yeah, on, on, the, on the stave. So if you do want to learn it, this is the video to watch. Well, it's that score time again, Chris. I've gone with a seven on this. I've gone with a five. I like it a lot. It's a fine song, but a bit too pulled back in 1966. Mm-hmm. But I, I, can see, I can see where they're coming from, because you don't want to be way laden with... with uh, ballads. De- yeah, depressing ballads all, all the time, though... They know how to write a good ballad, but... Uh... And talking of ballads, that leads us into the next song, When the Swallows Fly. I wander round me as a cloud I keep my head above the crowd Ain't nobody else as big as me But I must remember friends What has to start just has to end Everybody's got a destiny And I know When the swallow flies Yes, I know I'm just This is an example of Morris carrying on with the compressed piano sound from words and also playing a similar style G major riff as uh, as in words. Being the commercial success that it was uh, with words, he wanted to, to carry that forward into this album. And yeah, very, very prominent here. And it's, it's a fantastic piano ballad, I think, this one. I think it is as well. I mean, it's got, I believe it's a, it's a live Barry vocal mm-hmm. on this. I don't know why, but it sort of reminds me of early Elton John. I can see what you mean there. From his, from his early albums. It's just the feel of the, of the song that... Uh, I sort of get that. In fact, talking of Elton John, there is an album that come out where back in the early 70s, sort of 69, 70, there used to be albums come out, sort of cheap albums, um, not by the original artist. I believe Elton John sings on a couple of Bee Gees songs. Ah. I'll have to do my research on that one and I'll come (laughs) back to you probably near the time. I'm expecting a full essay for the next episode. (laughs) We, We talked about ballads coming in, but... When you get to the ballads, Barry knows how to sell them, doesn't he? He does. You know, I mean, just him. You, you can just picture this, just him and the piano. You could easily take this one and put it onto Life in a Tin Can. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good spot. Yeah. yeah. You know, South Dakota Morning and, and Saw a New Morning and, and one or two of the other, but there's not many to pick from, is there, on that album? Eight songs. I know it's not overflowing with them, is it? <laughs> but this would sit in anywhere on that. It's a great Barry vocal. Once again, Morris demonstrating that he's arguably, I think, the best musician in the band. Yeah. He comes into his forte with his bass, and with, and it really was just all round, wasn't he? Yeah. We spoke before of Spirits having flown, the absence of Robin and, and uh, Morris vocally, but in terms of musicianship, those albums are still filled with great work from Morris. Yeah. And maybe sort of 12 months later, you're going to produce it. Yeah. I mean, I think he produced one of Ringo Starr's songs from his first solo album, didn't he? Where somebody waits for me, sugar is sweet, so is she. Bye, bye, blackbird. Yes, I know. When the swallow 
a very strong ballad. Uh, not the strongest on the album, but a six out of ten. Okay, well, I've gone uh, for an eight on this one. Mm-hmm. It's brought the album with a big bang back into it again. So we've liked the last few songs, but uh, this is back up in top-tier territory again for me. And the next four songs for me are an absolute treat, starting with I've Decided to Join the Air Force. Oh, okay. Interesting. Well, I know, Chris, you're going to totally disagree with me, but I think this is an album filler. Before we did the preparation for this episode and I was just going off, you know, my memories of this album, I would completely agree with you. I thought it was just a quirky leftover from Bee Gees first. Yeah, well, I I find it, it's got bizarre lyrics. It's quite musical. Yes. Quite a musical type song. I mean, it's just hard to imagine, isn't it? This is like 68. Ten years down the line, they were singing Staying Alive and Night Fever. Where would you put the two songs? (laughs) I mean, you decide to join the army in 68, and you're you're giving it, what, four on the dance floor in 78, (laughs) aren't you? They're just piles apart, but that's what makes them so good, isn't it? Yeah, it is. The versatility. There's an excellent marching drum rhythm from Colin. And more of those moments that I keep talking about in this episode, particularly with the harmonies and Robin's vocal coming together about one minutes and seven seconds, going with Shepard's brass arrangements, everything comes in and it happens again at one minutes 45. I'll, I'll play that. Now I've found my land. I've got to join the Air Force, you see. I've seen my friends and they all agree. They played it in concert. Now I would think that would that would probably elevate the song. I mean, to yeah. hear this live with with a full orchestra. And Robin said that it was even with it was with the Air Force Orchestra or with um, a military orchestra took this one up and they performed it with them. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think I think it would have elevated it to to something really good. So that's for me probably why I think it, it falls a little bit flat on the album. It, it veers toward more of a Robin composition. It's funny you should say that. Barry believes that this was a song that Robin brought into the studio, but Robin, he can't confirm this, but he remembers being very enthusiastic about the song. Yeah, well, usually if that's the case, then I would think... I mean, as we said before, quite a lot of songs uh, made up in the studio, and there must be songs, obviously, they bring in, um, hence what we mentioned earlier on, the six, seven demos that Robin had. Do you reckon he played through all of them with the band? I I, I would have thought so. So happens that it, for Indian Ginny picked the most up song for that. How did you score this one? It's probably my lowest so far. I've gone with a five. Mm-hmm. Although I like it a lot more than you, within the context of scoring things out of ten, it's a six. But it's been my biggest step up since uh, before preparation. Well, that's good, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you, you, you sort of reappraise things like I did with a couple of other songs. You, you hear them the first time and you, some songs can just sail by, can't they? But with... The amount of listens we've done, it's probably changed to hear different songs as well, isn't it, from all the hits? Talking of hits. (laughs) 
it a joke Bitch started the whole world crying But I didn't see That the joke was on me Dad, would you like to introduce this song? Because I'm, I'm still trying to pick my jaw up from the floor. <laughs> I can't even pretend this is anything other than a ten out of ten. Yeah, well, I've got, I've put this as a gorgeous song. It, it's always been one of my favourites. I still can't believe now that it was never released as a single, was unless you're American, obviously. Okay. And I think in the UK, it got in, in, sorry, in America, it got to number six, which was even higher than, or two places higher than the previous one. I've got to get a message to you. Why it wasn't picked here, I've no idea. Mm. But it, it's it's a Robin classic. It's 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 the it's up there with with the best. In our discussion of Beaches first, I said that "To Love Somebody" was the definitive Barry song. I started a joke is the definitive Robin song for me. Yeah, I've I've tried a bit of research on on what it's about, and a few few opinions I've got is the song is about someone who has done or said something horribly wrong which resulted in them being alienated by everyone around them, which is why it has a lot of sadness to it. I mean, I started a joke which started the whole world crying and, you know, and, and the melody just is just full of, of loneliness and, and desperate, isn't it? There was a, a really beautiful um, fan-made video I saw on YouTube a few years back. I don't know if it's still on there. If it is, I will link it. But it was um, a very very sad, but it was photos from Robin's funeral with this song playing over it. I saw an article. Robin Gibson played this song just after his, fa- his father died from kidney failure on May the 20th, 2012. What he says is when he, when he passed away, we went out... They took the equipment away and we came back into the hospital room. I picked up my phone and I found I started a joke on YouTube and played it and I just put the phone on his chest. Yeah. So it's very poignant, isn't it? I think it's the Robin recording. And in the 1997 uh, concert video, when Robin sings this, what I absolutely love is that Barry is on rhythm guitar, turns his back faces away gives Robin the limelight he knows that this is Robin's moment and he, he just gives Robin that time yeah yeah it, it's uh, it's up there isn't it yeah so this one must have been one of the last songs that they recorded for the album like I just got to get a message to you and it must have been and this was in June 68 so this comes after the six seven demos okay so Robin must have come in the studio it, they must have been so pleased with it and uh, yeah this begins a set of three fantastic songs to close the album, and it's three. We said that about the last album, didn't we? With the three opening tracks, yeah, and this, uh, and, uh, yeah, and about three closing tracks. You're quite right. This is a, a great 
set of three songs to yeah. close an album. Yeah, I, I agree, Chris. It, it's, uh, it, it's definitely an album highlight. Well, it is the highlight, I would think. We need both of the scores now. We're both, we're both shooting from the hip and going to the ten. And I know that you're very fond of the next song, Kilburn Towers. I am a bird Watch me go drifting by With my feathers of power I laugh as the hours go slowly by That could mean everything I am a street Watching the people walk As I listen their conversations glisten As they start to talk Then I hear everything Little white child This is very much a pretty Barry song and it reminded me of Birdie Told Me, I Can Bring Love and uh, The Day Your Eyes Meet Mine. Oh, okay. Start very pretty, very a wistful, nostalgic tune Yeah. that unfortunately for me is a verse and chorus too short. I want this to go on another minute. I, I, I agree with you. I mean, for me, it's my favourite on the album. When I first heard the album, and it still is. Even though we're going to the other ones 10, I'd give this one... 11 or 12 if I could do. Wow. It, it's just brilliant. It, like you said, it's got a real dreamy feel to it. And after several listens, it, it's sort of, it's like a precursor, I always think, to, it's like a slowed down version of Spirits Haven't Flown. It's got that sort of vocal style on it and that sort of... Breathy. Breathy, and the backing is nice and easy. But no, it's just beautiful. And you mentioned lyrics earlier on. It went until quite recently that I've always been attempting to sing or whistle... <laughs> about uh, instead of it's jug isn't it but i've been singing jack yeah it's jug i never thought it was jug. little white jug i don't know what what is the jug in it is it gone onto onto a hill and and he's smoking and a jug of beer or a jug jug filled with indian gin yeah it could be (laughs) i i can't uh, praise this song enough and looking at reviews and things i'm not alone in thinking that as well you did actually show me on youtube barry did it live in 2013 was it sydney yeah that's right during the mythology tour Pulled out a lot of uh, rare numbers from that tour. A couple of Aussie ones, I think. Playdown was was uh, yep. was pulled out. And did we notice that early? Was it on time? Yes, with his son Stephen. Yeah, that's it. Which is what I like to see. I, I always like it when you to go and see something and they pull out something that you don't expect. A B side, an album. Yeah, cut. as a real fan, you you like to hear something different. I mean, I'd quite happily go and see him sing. Yeah. a recipe book, but I mean, <laughs> especially anything from Mr. Natural. Mm. Brilliant. And I love the transitions between when Barry going into the chorus, the word towers is crossed over with the instrumentation which finishes the word and finishes the chorus. I think it's superb instrumentation. Well, it's a, well, it's a well-crafted song, isn't it? It is, yeah. This was another song that they recorded after their four-month break from the studio on uh, June 14th. It was an IBC session, and it featured uh, Colin is on bongos and Morris on the Mellotron. Oh, okay. 
the Mellotron, that would be the mournful woodwind sound, very similar to what McCartney plays on Strawberry Fields Forever. Oh, okay. That introduction yeah, he's yeah, playing. Yeah. I, it could be the same sample, it could be the same Mellotron, or a similar uh, model. song uh the feel of it there was a film i remember when i was at school called whistle down the wind uh it's with these children and they believe they've got jesus in the barn and this music just so fits that film the theme song for the film is quite haunting but every time i i listen to this i think of that film Mm -hmm. i don't know why i associate the two but it's got that feel sort of kitchen sink drama yes uh, melodrama uh, yeah of a, of a film and it's just I don't know what it is but I listen to it and I was thinking that film when was it that you first heard Idea? I went down to London HMV and I brought the Bee Gees first Idea and Horizontal all together so it wasn't you had one album and I could listen to it over and over again. It was all three. So you sort of, this one, this one, this one. So that's why I'm really enjoying it at the minute, going through all these three, get to really appreciate them. Yeah, fantastic. I won't even bother asking what your score is. I know it's a 10 plus. Yes, definitely. For me, it's a nine. Could only be a 10 if it was uh, that little bit longer. But if it was in the 80s, you could have had a 12-inch version. <laughs> and you'd have had an eight-minute eight version of it. With more of uh, Barry's wonderful long and winding verses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is my swan song Whatever I do now I do it well This is my swan song I fell in love with you I love you well Despite it being the swan song of the album, this is a 67 track. So it's like the swan song of, of the previous album. And also it marks the end of the Bee Gees as a five-piece band, because although Vince would play during the sessions for the next album, Odessa, they were only the early sessions and his guitar lines would often be swapped out later on what I can say about this song, uh, it's, it's very sentimental, isn't it? Yeah. Again, it, it reminds me a little bit of One Minute Woman. It put me in mind of Birdie Told Me. When we were talking about that song in the last episode, I made reference to the final chord and how I thought it sounded very Disney-esque. And Swan Song also ends with a similar Disney-like chord. I love you well I agree with you with the One Minute Woman, yeah. that, that nature of and style of song. I mean, I've never heard it on radio or anything. It's never been on any comp. I don't think it's been on any compilation. No. Albums that I'm aware of. I know there was the mythology one with four, was it four discs? Yeah. A disc for each brother. And I don't think, I don't think it's on there. Which but, brother would this have been for? Well, I would, I would say Barry. Yeah. I, I would put this down as um, Barry all over. And
swan song is missing that something to take it from being the great song that it is to something phenomenal. You and I often use the term, it needs the George Martin treatment, usually when referring to Paul McCartney songs that need that Beatle touch, they need the help from George Martin to, to take them somewhere else. And Swan Song needs that. This isn't to undervalue the work of Bill Shepard, but I feel that Swan Song is missing a verse, a chorus, a bridge, something just to elevate it. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what this would have sounded like in 76, 77. Yeah. Well, obviously, falsetto would have been, uh, yeah, definitely the name of the game. But yeah, it it would have been, they would have worked on this quite a bit longer. Yeah. So for the final time on this podcast, Chris, how how do you rate this one? Seven out of ten. We go out exactly the same, because that's what I've put down, seven. Mm -hmm. And that brings us to the end of the album. Both the UK and the US versions run to around 32 minutes. Which is standard. Yeah. It's quite standard for, for that period of time. Yeah. Um, and I sometimes think that's quite long enough for an album anyway. Unless it's a really great album, I lose interest. 55 minutes is pushing it the most for me. Unless it's, I'm going in knowing it's a double album. Yeah. As I think we said before, people in the 80s and 90s, once CD come out with, with 80 minutes worth of music, people used to fill it, fill it up with 80 mm. minutes. CD it's, it's too much, isn't yeah. it? Whereas this, this is 40 minutes, thank you very much. I don't think we've got any recording of this live at all, have we? Not that I'm aware of. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I don't think there is, Chris. To be honest with you. However, talking of songs that they did play live, we have Jumbo, the non-album single. Jumbo said to say goodnight. See you. I think that this is a terrible choice for single. I like the song, but I can't understand why it was chosen as a single, or certainly as the A-side. If you think of the last few tracks from Horizontal, it sort of does flow on. But I think this is the one where the original A-side was going to be the singer sang his song, and then Robert Stickwood told them to swap it over and make it jumbo. I can see that you've got a quotation there from Barry, taken from the Ultimate Biography. Does that explain why Jumbo was chosen? We switched to Jumbo, which is a distinct change of direction for us. A simple sort of idea. Every kid has an imaginary pet, but scored differently. As it happened, a lot of people thought we were wrong to change, and they said they preferred Singer, even if it was the same as some of their earlier hits. But uh, when we study other groups, we knew the danger of staying in one direction. This is the only time Robin, Robert was wrong when he said we should release Jumbo as an A-side. I'm looking at the charts now and I can see that it only got to the heights of 57. Well, I think Robert Stigwood really was going for record sales in America on this one. Mm. So obviously that must have backfired him. And I think that was the last time he, he picked the singles. What do you think of it as a, as a song? It's okay. It's okay. Would you sort of say similar to idea or that sort of thing? Yes, very similar in the immediacy of. Or the would song. you class it as B-side material as Jeffrey Save the World and and Barker of the UFO? Yeah, Barker of the UFO is a good comparison, but at least that song knew its own place as just a B-side. 
they, they do say if you look back at the or if you trace back the the actual singles it does say the singer sang his song as the a-side so it must have been a last minute thing that robert decided to uh, um, to change it i can understand stigwood's reasoning for having jumbo as the a-side the previous bg singles have predominantly been ballads and also barry is correct in what he's saying about the danger of sticking in one direction and only having one style as a group but i think obviously they must have seen it start to perform pretty poorly so that's when they tried to switch switch over to and made singer sang as the a side i do like that at one minutes 41 we have some proto 1960s rap as barry starts listing through the lyrics at 100 miles per hour oh okay yeah 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 Going touring, they they it gave them something to promote as well as horizontal. This is a new a new single, and it does work very well live. Yeah, I have to say the live versions of it are very good. But I think stronger than the studio. That's that's like quite a few songs, isn't it? And yeah. I think as we said before, when you've got the big orchestration that the Bee Gees took with them, it it, it bumps it up a bit, Elevates doesn't it? it? Yeah, yeah. That's a better word, elevates. <laughs> you can use that for the next episode. <laughs> yeah. I've managed to find, Chris, a, um, an instrumental. See what you think to this one. Okay. I much prefer the, the B-side to this, the yeah. singer sang his song. I mean, it's, it's traditional... BGs or traditional in 68, 67, I would have put this on the album. don't score them but if I was going to give if I was going to score both of these singer sang his song would be a seven and jumbo five or six yeah jumbo a four or five singer a six yeah In my opinion, this song, Chocolate Symphony, is better than Jumbo and The Singer Sang His Song put together. I love this one. This, Chris, is my favourite of all the unreleased stuff so far. It must have been an absolute treat hearing this for the first time. Well, I couldn't believe believe it when I first heard it, thinking, my God, because before the releases, I mean, like everybody else, you get the bootlegs. This was never even bootlegged. Did you know the title? No. I thought, my God, you know, where have they been hiding this one? 
My opinion on Chocolate Symphony has changed a lot. When I first heard it, I could understand why it had been omitted from the album. To me, it felt like a kitchen sink song, with every idea that the Bee Gees had during this period thrown in there. It's got that Christmassy feel that the singer sang his song has. It's a ballad, like so much of the songs that are on idea. It's got a lot of the production effects that are common during this era. And it also felt somewhat structureless without a clear verse and chorus. However, upon repeat listens, I've completely fallen in love with this song. I know it was recorded for different circumstances, but I really do wish this was on idea. Or even Odessa, I think it would fit on there as well. It's a really good song, and yeah, I really like this one. And like so many other songs that we've discussed from this period, it's got a gorgeous arrangement from Bill Shepard. It's a shame for him to have made such a beautiful arrangement for a song that would then be unheard for 40 years. Yeah, well, and uh, as along with other songs in this period, well, Plenty I would say more. early 70s that we still haven't heard. Yeah. Earlier on, I described Chocolate Symphony as a kitchen sink song, and a clear example of this is a melody line which sounds very similar to a melody line from The Singer Sang His Song. I'll play both, and I think that this is a good example of a reason as to why, even if it was proposed for idea, one of the Bee Gees or Stigwood or somebody might have rejected it because it sounds too similar. Do you know much about the uh, what, what it was going to be used for or anything? Yeah, it was intended for a film or TV project that was going to be based upon the Pippi Longstocking character. There's also a song called I Can Lift a Mountain, which was rumoured to be for that as well. We don't have a version of that one, because I think that was uh, sometime in 68. But we have a version by Robin and uh, Morris from 1970. We can lift a mountain we can cross the sea, we can have the world exclusively. The credits on this one are all three brothers, so why Robin and Morris decide to do it, I don't know, but to me it sounds like a um, TV advert or yeah, It does, it does. You can imagine the We Can Lift a Mountain bit and then some voiceover advertising. It's by Revlon, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Well, the bonus disc uh, from the Rhino reissue does have two spots from Coca-Cola adverts. So uh, from from being up a mountain, we'll sit down and uh, open up a can of Coke. The Bee Gees reminding you that Coke has that taste you'd never get tired of. Things 
The Bee Gees for Coca-Cola with that taste you'd never get tired of. Do you know if this was used? I assume it was. But I would say they're, they're full production, aren't they? Still Bill Shepard's orchestra and everything in there. So obviously yes. a lot of work went into doing them. They obviously must have got paid quite a bit from Coke or Coca-Cola to, um, to do it. And I think there's quite a few artists. I mean, I've got a um, quite a rare recording of 10cc doing a, doing a Coke advert as well. Dr Pepper. Oh, yeah. So all, all the big drink, you know, drink companies, they did like to use the artists of the day to promote their, um, their product. Again, these were... I'd never heard them bootlegged. And another one of those curios that we have thanks to the reissue is Genus Theme. According to Robin, Genus Theme was actually written for a film but he's since forgotten what the film was going to be. Well, I, I think it's a pretty little song, this one. It is, yeah. I mean, I can imagine sitting outside a Greek taverna with this one tinkering in the background. Really pretty, but again, like we said about the two Coke ones, this has got a full orchestration by Bill Shepard. I think there's even Barry on rhythm, Vince on, on lead guitar, and even, I think Robin is playing the organ. It first appeared on a German LP. Now, I'm not very going to pronounce this very well, but anyway, it was on, it was on a, a German LP with various artists. And on to another uh, leftover track from those January sessions. Yeah, another early session song again, Bridges Crossing Rivers. Find yourself another Well, for me, that's a pleasant little song. I can see that you've got a quotation there from Barry from Andrew Sanderville's book. What does Barry think of this song? Not a bad song, but he thought it was lacking something. He'd always say, if it needs something, if it's not right, let's just leave it and move on and move on to something different. I agree 100% with uh, Barry's statement there. This song is missing something. There is something lacking and I can see why... They left it and moved on and ultimately never returned. You could pop it onto a B-side instead of repeating album tracks. Yeah. The next song, completely unoriginal, but equally at the same time completely original because it's never bootlegged before. Yeah, completely unbootlegged. Completely unoriginal, not original at all. Millions of themes. Well, where do we start with this one then? I, I do think it's one of their sort of comedy songs. Yes. They get these couple of songs where it probably re- relieve tension just to change all f- thought of what they're doing. It's just let's jump into something, relax, have a bit of fun and a bit of wailing. There's an unusual bit in the middle, I think, where they take a totally different song. Is it something called Cottage in the Glen or something? That's that Robin right. starts wailing, would have been the best word, off. warbling or something to describe it. Oh, come here, mother, to our cottage in. Robin says that this was just a joke track that they did, something that they called Therapy Break. Robin goes on to say, we just make up stupid songs and put them down anyway, so you never know where they're going to show up. We never really seriously meant those songs to be used for anything. We just wrote them to have some fun, just to keep ourselves fresh, so we wouldn't get bogged down too much in writing. 
we just sort of go off on a tangent, which is what you said about them wanting to clear their heads in the studio. And they're fun to listen to, aren't they? I wouldn't want to listen much more to Cottage in the Glen. <laughs> no, I don't think you can stay in the Glen. <laughs> and to the last of these um, officially released, unreleased tracks, we have Come Some Christmas Eve or Halloween. If this was Christmas Eve or Halloween You So is this the last of these sort of Christmassy songs? Because I think on the last podcast we finished with a couple of Christmassy We did, you're right. So we did. So this is one of the six or seven demos that Robin that Robin did while he was in India. Mm-hmm. So obviously Indian Gin, they went with this one. I think it was just work time with him and Morris. When you put the word Christmas or Halloween, I don't really know how it fits. Unless you're going to do a Christmas album or it was for some other... TV special, like the last one, was, the last year was used on the Liverpool Cathedral. Yes. So whether they had plans, oh, let's let's do a studio version of this, we can put it in the can, and then if anybody needs a Christmassy thing, we can we can pull it out of the bag. Yeah. And, get, and give this one a go. Or, Robin had other ideas for it, but along with all the others that we've just mentioned, it's uh, good to hear. Yeah. Even though it is just Robin and Morris, it feels... More complete than, say, Bridges Crossing Rivers. Yes. This is more complete as well. I think Robin virtually did the whole thing. Same mm. as Indian Gin, you know, the whole song. Whereas I would, Bridges sounds like one of those composed in the studio. Yeah. We're left with a song called You. So please come back. And this is a track that they gave away to a group called Sound of Modification. It sounds to me uh, like a Barry song. I'm wondering whether he's done the backing track or, or a demo of a backing track and they've added their vocal to it. Because yes. for me, the chorus is quite strong on this. Mm-hmm. Had it been a better vocalist, cause I think the vocalist is pretty poor on this. I know, I know the versions we hear are not brilliant, so you're in between the scratches and the pops and everything. But yeah. Do things get any better with In the Middle of the Grass? Well, again, this one is, I've got down as a a really small snippet of a song. So the only reason I can think of is that, that it's an acetate that went up for sale. And obviously sometimes these acetates on a web page, they'll play a small snippet, you know, for somebody that's potentially going to go and buy it. So they don't want to show the whole song because then people are just bootleg it. <laughs> At least with a little snippet, you get a grasp of what the song's what tempo the song is. Why I'm sitting in the middle of the grass Yes I am Now the trees are falling free Notice just how much I don't have much to say on that. I quite like difficult, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, didn't mind what I heard but I need to hear it in the wider context of the rest of the song. It, it might be a bit like the uh, Saved by the Bell compilation set of Robins. Yeah where there was a lot of uh, acetates and one-off recordings that were used for that. It'd be nice if this suddenly appeared somewhere where we can get to hear the, the full version of it. So with them two unreleased ones in mind, that about covers it apart from, I think I did forget actually, there's one called Let Your Heart Out. Okay. Th- which has been heavily bootlegged anyway. So, But let's uh, give this one a little spin. Let your heart out 
for somebody else let your heart out don't keep it to yourself it's a shame with this song that um despite it being robin and barry that the the bootleg quality isn't better because we can't appreciate the song more for what it is i think it's really just a robin and barry acoustic uh... yeah for me the most attractive thing about this song is the little two second snippet of uh, studio conversation that we get right at the end yeah that's it well they're, they're relaxed aren't they yeah don't keep it Oh, it's, it, but it's not a bad little song. Don't know where it would fit in anywhere. I mean, probably had Robin stayed with the group, it might have filtered in the album after Odessa. Mm-hmm. I suppose we'll never know, really. I mean, neither Barry or Robin took it any further. Too upbeat for two years on. Yeah. We do have a couple of song titles that were tried out. We've never heard them. They've not been, as we say every episode, we've not heard them, they've not been released anywhere, but if anybody has any info or anything, please let us know. A couple of them were, there was a really early version of Turning Tide from Cucumber Castle, an early version of I-O-I-O with Robin on it, because obviously on Cucumber Castle, it was just Barry and Morris. Yeah. Same with Turning Tide as well. So it'd be quite interesting. Uh, From what I've read, Turning Tide is... A slightly different pace song as well. And that just leaves us with about four songs that I'd like to mention. The first one is called She Is Russia. Very ominous title. She Is Russia is recorded and what it says, it's a mid-tempo acoustic bass number with Colin on drums, Vince on electric guitar, Barry acoustic guitar. There's no vocals mentioned, so I assume this is just an instrumental that they sort of played where they jammed with it I mean I assume it's just sort of one that's shelved and never revisited yeah in June 1968 there's the title Stepping Out supposedly this is a bluesy number with Vince on lead guitar Morris is on bass and Colin is on drums and this was taped in two takes there's one which looks really interesting called Men of Men Looking at this, it seems such a shame that this wasn't uh, put on as an extra track because it, it says this recording will, will be augmented with overdubs of Mellotron, piano, orchestration from Bill Shepard. The lyrics are poetic and it's sort of medieval verse and the production, which is unissued, foreshadows the big ballad style of Cucumber Castle. That sounds really promising. Well, it's a shame really because it must have been... They must have sent forward some songs to be shortlist to go on the reissues and this one wasn't approved for the 206 reissue and looking at your list i can see that the last of these unheard titles is one called royal horse artillery which is a very quirky name it puts me in mind of indian gin and whiskey dry but it's one of those titles that would be great to hear yeah that takes us to september 1968 And from here onwards, sessions and work begins for the next album, Odessa. And that's where we'll pick up in the next episode. Looking on Amazon, Idea averaged 4.6 stars out of 5 from 34 reviews. So that's very good. The Ultimate Biography describes Idea as much lighter, more pop than the bluesy rock sound of Horizontal, with less electric guitar, lighter lyrics, more flowery orchestration and more of a breathy vocal style that Barry had displayed on words. 
Oh, okay. Because I've just been looking through Record Collector and they don't really give a full view of it, but what they do is say it's full of good pop. Idea sounds as good today as it did at the time of release. Soon after Idea was released, guitarist Vince Maloney left, left the group, apparently because he wanted to pursue his own musical ideas. Instead of the Bee Gees idea. <laughs> rather than follow those of the Gibb Brothers. The Ultimate Biography goes on to describe how Idea wasn't received too favourably by music critics at the time, saying that some of these critics began to question the group's, air quotation, rock credentials. Right, well, I'm sure those critics were having a brilliant time ten years on. (laughs) In my opinion, Idea sees a return to the psychedelic pop variety of Bee Gees first, but the band has matured greatly since then, in the space of just a year, with ballads sung from the heart, tightly woven harmonies and lyrics that verge on autobiographical, even if the Bee Gees themselves aren't aware of it. The fine arrangements on idea would steer the Bee Gees neatly into the grand, majestic and ballad-heavy sounds of the following few albums. Yeah, I definitely agree on that. But I think this album's a good album if, you, if somebody wanted to hear what the Bee Gees sounded like in the 60s. It's got the whole spectrum from beautiful ballads to some bizarre lyrics and song titles and bits and pieces. If someone came up to me and said, what are the Bee Gees like in the 1960s? This is the album that I would present them with and then say, if you like this, if you like the ballads, go back to Horizontal or go forwards to Odessa. If you prefer the quirkier stuff, go back to Bee Gees first. But if you just like the band in general, then stick with them, go through their whole material in whichever order you like because there's absolute treats on every album as there are on idea. When comparing our scores out of 10 from before and after doing this podcast, both of our scores went up. Dad, you went up from a 7.1 to a 7.6, whereas I went up very marginally from a 6.7 to a 6.8. But actually, looking at the individual breakdown of the differences between our original and new scores for the songs, the differences were similar for both of us. Whereas Let There Be Love went up from a 7 to a 9 for you, I had a similar increase for I've Decided to Join the Air Force, which went up from a 4 to a 6. And then whereas there were some drop-offs for you, for example, in the summer of his years, it went down from a 7 to a 6. I had a similar drop-off with Kitty Can, that went down from a 6 to a 5. So very similar marginal increases and decreases for both of us. But uh, overall, certainly been an improvement revisiting this album which I'm, I'm very happy about and which one got top of the pops then we both agreed with a 10 out of 10 for i started a joke and we came close with kilburn towers you gave it a 10 whereas i gave it a 9 well they're they're, they're two of the best ones yeah like horizontal idea has two different album covers we've got one for the uk and one for the us hence a different track listing as well then yeah, yeah. The cover design in the US, where it's the white background with the composite uh, Bee Gees face made up of all the five different members, that was done by Klaus Foreman. Whereas the UK design, the one that I'm more familiar with, is the purple... With, with like a light bulb? Yeah, signifying the idea. I think I prefer the, the Klaus Foreman. If you're looking at a standard LP, that one is more eye-catching. Yes, yeah. Anything on a white background always stands out. Yeah. Whereas for the next album, Odessa, the cover design is minimalist... Red velvet cover, gold lettering, very simple. But I think on that one they were going for luxury. Yes, luxury packaging. And and plush. Yes, that's a good word for it. Yeah, Yeah. very good word for it. Well, with that, should we leave with a live 
preview for the next episode. The apple tree, the crew for you and me. I'll watch the apples falling one by one. And I recall the moment of them all. The day I kissed your cheek and you were gone. Christmas trees are small And you don't have the time I've Thank you for listening to Words, the Bee Gees podcast, presented by Stuart and Cristiano Jepson. Follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Words Bee Gees Podcast and on Twitter at Words Bee Gees Pod. Or, if you'd like to get in touch, you can email us at wordsbeegeespodcast at gmail.com. And Christmas trees were tall. Do 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 do